pleasure to introduce to you uh, well, and uh, they are going to, uh, <laughs> they're going to bless us. He's going to bless us in a great way. I'm going to introduce them. Then we're going to play a video and uh, why don't you pay attention to that, okay? So ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause for Jeremy Goodwin from South Africa. Hi, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jenna Lee. Just recently, our journey brought us here in South Africa to work with the Healthy Pastor Healthy Church Initiative as a part of AGWM Africa. Our team is dedicated to all things church health. We want to see pastors equipped in the areas of discipleship, leadership training, children's ministry, church planting, and missions. Our heart is to assist them in accomplishing their ministry visions and goals, specifically working towards healthy families and healthy relationships. We want to see a healthy church within walking distance of every South African. Without healthy pastors and healthy ministry families, we will never see healthy churches. Thank you for partnering with us to see healthy pastors leading healthy churches all across South Africa. We love you and we appreciate you. It is so good to be here with you this morning. Uh, again, I am Jeremy Goodwin and missionary to South Africa. And as you can see up there, the, the rest of my ladies, and they, they are all over the country right now. So my wife, Jenna Lee, and my youngest, Abigail, are up in northern Michigan. We are basing out of my in-laws house. Uh, really, I'm living out of my in-laws basement in my 40s, so that's always weird, but sometimes you do what you got to do. But my youngest daughter wants to move in up there and settle in up there and get established up there. And so she is finishing her senior year of high school and getting her first job. And that's why the the page under there, she's a page at the library. Uh, It's her first job. She's got her driver's permit, but mama's needing to help her finish her senior year and get her back and forth to work and church and all the activities. So unfortunately, they're not able to travel with me this morning, but they do send their greetings. My middle daughter, Annalise, is currently at Heartland attending the SEU campus. And then my oldest daughter, Elena, is down in Sagu, uh, down in Waxahachie, oh boy, that's a hard word, Waxahachie, Texas, at Sagu Assemblies, it's Assemblies of God University down there. Uh, This weekend, uh, she has um, directed uh, one of their play productions. Um, And so the first production of the year was was yeah directed by her and she is I think finished I don't think she has one Sunday so it happened this weekend and I heard it all went wonderful so we were really excited for her about that opportunity but this morning 
you get me. And, and Pastor Phil and Annette, thank you so much for having me and letting me come. But I, I know him well enough after all these years of ministry in Ohio and missions to know that even though you have me, I understand you, you have him. So it's, it, it'll be a different morning, but you're probably used to some of that. <laughs> my, my theme song for this morning is called God and Prozac. So how many of you guys have heard that one? Any? Oh, I got one. Praise the Lord. I, I, so this is, I think, like my, what is it, third, fourth time to play this song in a service. I, I did it for a Chi Alpha group, young, young students. N- none of them knew this song. I've only had like a handful of people that have even heard this song, which really surprised me. I am not a music guy. I really am not. Like I grew up, I grew up like in, in Iowa, southeast Iowa, and listening to 1040 WHO, you know, Rush Limbaugh, and like all those old school people. So like... That's more, my groove right now as I travel is generally more along the podcast type of thing. Like I want to listen to something, kind of learn something. Uh, and so I, I don't do a lot of music. My wife and my daughters love music. They, they love creating playlists and like travel playlists and Christmas playlists and study playlist, they, they, they make a playlist for just about everything, okay? And so I, I, when I have them with me, I listen to a lot of that. But when I'm by myself, generally it's a podcast, but sometimes, like, I, I just, I need to, do, I do need to just shut my mind off or I don't have enough time to get into a podcast, so I'll put some music on. Well, another thing that's really exciting about when I come back to the States for my itineration year is Amazon Prime. Uh, like you can order stuff and have it shipped anywhere, and that is just fantastic. Okay, but it, Amazon Prime also comes with like Prime Video, and it comes with uh, Prime Music and some like access to their like books and audio books and other stuff. And it'll it 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 creates playlists for me, so I don't have to worry about it. I just like type in Christian songs whatever contemporary christian whatever you know and it'll 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 make all these playlists for me so one of the playlists that i've been listening to i think it's called divine sound or something like that i don't know i chose it i listened to it anyway this song continues to come up for me and when i was fir- first hearing it it was like okay this is a weird song god and prozac why are we singing about god and prozac like how do those two things go together but it's really kind of a, an interesting song. And when we look at the Psalms in the Bible, like, they are a lot of grieving, pouring their hearts out to God. And that's essentially what this, this musician, Chris Rinsma, is doing. He, he's pouring his heart out in this poetry, in this song. And so this is, this is the verses of it. The better part of my 20s spent writing songs about God on a Prozac prescription. Doesn't that seem odd? Because I believe in a gospel and a God who is good, but these chemicals don't always work like they should. Brain chemistry, like whatever. 
hung, hung up on this heartache and the distance between the way that I'm feeling and what I believe. Just got to know that you are with me. Yeah, I really do. But these feelings just need some help to break through. I keep trying to move forward and not get stuck in my head. If there's a foolproof solution, I haven't found it yet. Just got to know a day's coming when you'll make all things new. But till then, I'll just try to be honest with you. I already grabbed my Kleenex. Because <laughs> I'm probably going to need it. Because I've been writing... <laughs> Because I've been writing the book on how to write you a love song when I still need help trying to love myself. I've been writing the book on how to write you a love song when I still need help trying to love myself. I still need help trying to love myself. Life is hard. Life is just really hard. We are broken. In the church, in a church setting, we often say we're sinners. We know it. We're confronted with it on a daily basis. We read the Bible from its beginning stages of an explanation of the garden of creation and the Garden of Eve scenario, the Garden of Eden scenario with Adam and Eve and the the initial sin that brought brokenness and sin into the world. It's been corrupted. That perfection that God created in the beginning has been corrupted. We are part of that corruption. We live out of that corruption. And we are broken. And throughout our lives, let me say this first. This life living it for Jesus because of his sacrifice, living it to be back in relationship with God. This life is not a one-and-done moment of salvation. It's a lifelong process of sanctification. That is not just trying to get control over our urges and our sin. We also need to face the fact that there's brokenness within us. And whether that's developmental disorders, personality disorders, whether it's from childhood traumas, we are broken. And we can heal from that. We have a God. Chris Renzema is crying out and saying, God, I know you are good, I know you heal. 
I know you bring restoration. But I'm still struggling. I'm still broken. I'm still struggling through this brokenness. And I'm writing you a love song. I want my life to be a love song written to you. That's what I want for my life. That's why I do missions. It's because I want my life to matter in such a way that I am being a witness, a testimony of who God is, how great his love is, regardless of my brokenness, despite my brokenness, because of my brokenness. When I was little, I grew up, uh, I, I basically bleed uh, AG. I was born in Springfield, Missouri, while my parents were attending Central Bible College, like the premier Bible college of sending pastors and missionaries out of the Assemblies of God. Like that was its primary focus. I grew up in the AG. I grew up in a Christian home. I have known God and been saved as long as I can remember. Eight years old is, was a defining moment for me to really accept that salvation as my own and not just a family inheritance. Nine years old was when I received my call to missions, hearing God speak my name and seeing visions of myself and my family serving in Africa. I was also, at that same, in that same week, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. God changed my life and sent me down a path, and I have been writing a love song for him ever since with my life. But it's hard, and it's hard when you're broken. And God knows that. God knows it. He knows who we are. He created us. He knows what we're going to go through. That doesn't mean we don't have a testimony. When I was little, because of my, my history with, with God and the AG, I, I always felt like I didn't really have a testimony. You know, I, I wasn't the rebellious kid that ran off and did drugs and, and slept around and did all these other things. You know, I, I, I didn't do big sins. I was a good middle child. I'm, I'm a good one. My, I, I, basically, my nickname from my siblings was Goody Two-Shoes. You know, kind of like... <laughs> And I was kind of always like disappointed, like, God, what is my testimony? I don't, I don't really have a testimony. Like, I was born saved practically. <laughs> like, that's about as far back as I can remember. I just remember it. Like, always being saved. What kind of testimony is that? It is a great one. It is a great one. But it's hard to show compassion or be empathetic or help people feel empathetic through their hard situations and tell them about Jesus and how Jesus can be for them. And they're like, well, what happened to you? Mm, well, <laughs> not, not a lot. <laughs> but God is good. And unfortunately, when you feel that way, sometimes God responds and says, oh, 
here, I'll give you a testimony. Let's have some of this. Let's see how you do with some of this. And you, you, you start going through this life and, and it's starting to look more like Job than, <laughs> than Saul kind of a deal. And here's the reality of, of mine. Can I be vulnerable with you and share a little bit more of my story this morning? The last few years have been a real struggle for my family. Missions is just hard. Missions is always hard. S- serving God in, in any leadership capacity puts you as a, a big target for spiritual warfare. And, but from my upbringing, uh, I think my dad dealt with some neurodivergent stuff. So ADHD, um, possibly some, some Asperger level autism uh, that went undiagnosed for most of his life. He, he was later in life diagnosed with ADHD. Um, but by that time, uh, he was, I don't remember, probably well into his 40s, maybe even into his 50s. And was also at that time, he had kind of gone down this road in his life and fighting depression and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and some narcissism. And I think the autism part got overlooked in all of that. And probably, probably possibly led to some of the personality disorders because of the way he was treated because of his neurodivergence, the way he couldn't connect with people. But by the time I entered ministry here in Ohio, he had started going downhill. He cheated on my mom. Uh, Then my brother passed away. My younger brother passed away in a drinking and driving incident Halloween night, uh, driving down Interstate 80 in Iowa going from one party to another uh, with his fiance, And that tipped my dad even more. And he went downhill even more. And it got, it got bad. My parents talked about divorce several times. Five years ago, they were talking about it quite seriously. At that point, my dad was so de- de- Wait, what is the word? Uh, incapacitated to to do work. He pretty much stayed home. Depression was super heavy. He was incredibly negative and and passive aggressive, and uh, the verbal harm and trauma that was dished out to my other family members and especially my mother were severe. And then while on this on field this last term, my mother was diagnosed with stage four renal cancer. And as my as my wife and I flew back 
to help my family through that time, that transition. And my role as the elder son was to spend the majority of that time keeping my father at bay and helping him pay off his credit card debts and try to get him to negotiate well with my brother-in-law to sell off the business and get him disability from his depression and, and the things that he was facing and help my mom get on disability and help them get their will organized and their beneficiary set up for their retirement funds. And in that process, him and my mom, just before she had found out, were really leaning towards divorce as the correct avenue. My dad was cheating more on my mother. And in that process, she had some retirement funds in her name at that point that she wanted to go to us kids and not go to him. And things got ugly. And instead of being able to spend those weeks with my mom while she is passing away, I had to pour into my dad and know that he was not happy with me. My mom ends up passing away a few months later and I go back for the funeral by myself. Within the next day, my dad's already got dates lined up on dating websites. Within three months, he finds another woman. Within another three months, he's married. And within about a day, he's gone back through all of his retirement funds and his will and writes the entire estate over to her. Within another year, him and his new wife are down in Florida, retired with all the weight lifted off of him and, and on retirement and his debts paid off. They're, they're living well. And then he ends up in a motorcycle accident. Ends up in ICU for two weeks. My sisters fly down, spend two weeks in the ICU with him. They're in the room and I'm on a video call as he's passing away. And you're just left with the mess and the brokenness. And you're saying, God, why did you call me to this? Take me away from my family when they need it. In this past term, there's been a lot of transition for my family as well. This is our empty nesting year. We're back stateside to raise our budget to go back for another four years. But this is a hard year because our focus really needs to be on our daughters and making sure they feel good and they're established here in the States. It's hard. Within AG Missions, we have the privilege to seek out mental health issues and counselors and coaches. 
But those things are expensive and they're not available to everybody. And for me right now in missions, I, I transferred this last term from Senegal doing children's ministry. Actually, two years ago, we made the transition down to South Africa. And one of my primary focuses in South Africa is dealing with a healthy pastor, healthy church initiative. Because the president of the IAG in South Africa has his doctorate in counseling. And coming off of COVID, he was aware enough to say, okay, our pastors are hurting and we need to do something about it. And so there's a team of us that were established to address the health of a pastor and the health of a church. Addressing marriages and broken families and personal finance issues and mental health issues. Because the fact is, we're all broken. We are all broken. And we struggle. And we have to figure that out. And we have to oftentimes walk through those struggles our entire lifetime. It's not easy. But we can do it. And we're a community and we're a church. The church is a community of believers. We're here to support one another. Let's change this up a bit. I love to eat. I do. I ain't going to lie. So far, I've had one of my best services stateside that I've, I've ever had. I went to a Hispanic church down in Cincinnati. They invited me to come. It was during their missions convention. They asked if I could come Sunday, and I'm like, no, I, I'm sorry, I already have that one book. They're like, well, can you come Wednesday? I'm like, yeah, I've got that open. I'll make it happen. I made it down there, and it, it was, it was honestly, I'm glad that, that it worked out this way because uh, Wednesday was their, like, around-the-world banquet, and their church is made up of 20 different ethnic groups. And so by the time I got done preaching and went back into the, the little hall, they, they had all the food brought in. It was all wrapped around, you know, the, the, the space. But they had designated me a table, and they had already gone around and put little sample plates of everything from all the different tables on my table, and I just got to sit there and eat it. It was fantastic. The table within the Bible is a pretty significant symbol. Like if, if you consider what it means to eat and fellowship and, and come together at the table, you can see it all throughout the Bible. In Genesis, the table is the garden where God provides them with food and talks with them. In the Old Testament covenant, the table is the altar where the Israelites presented a sacrifice to God. In the New Testament, the covenant is found in communion as believers share in the remembrance of Christ's death and resurrection. Even in Revelation, with the, anticipating of join, with the anticipation of joining God around the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? And when we look at the example of Jesus' life, the table symbolizes fellowship. Dr. Carolyn Leaf says, a shared meal is the world's oldest social network. 
A shared meal is the world's oldest social network. It's one of the things that I absolutely love about Africa and, and, and my time in Senegal. They, they always had tea going. A Thai tea, it was like a three-round process. It took, you know, it could take over three hours to do this whole tea thing. And so they, they basically had tea going all day somewhere. And, and you were always invited. Now, it was kind of weird because you all drink out of the same little cup that they, so, I mean, there's, there's some, some things there with it. But same thing with a meal. You all just eat out of a communal bowl. Like, it's wonderful. And everybody's invited. Acts chapter 2, verses 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. This is a, a message that Peter preached, and thousands came to know Jesus as their Savior. Just after the day of Pentecost, he preached these words, and it gives his vision and purpose to the newly formed church. Two of the four purposes, half of Peter's vision for the church can be accomplished around the table. Can you imagine what would happen if we brought more people around our table? I want to focus here now on Luke chapter 5. Well, Luke, and, and really Luke. And there's going to be a couple stories here. Luke chapter 5, though, verses 27 to 32, is right as Jesus is entering into his ministry, and he's calling his disciples to come and follow him. And when we get to Luke chapter 27 to 32, he comes upon a tax collector named Levi. Now, if some of you are turning there, that's fine. In Luke, one of the things we need to understand about the book of Luke is it's kind of part one, Acts is part two of Luke's overall book. Like it's a two-compendium piece thing. And it's written primarily to the Jewish people, trying to inform them and tell them, hey, Jesus is your Messiah. So let's keep that in mind. But in Luke chapter 5, 27 to 32, it says, And after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. As Jesus enters his ministry, one of the first things he does is calls a moral outcast and a sinner to come and follow him, and then he goes and eats with a whole group of them. By way of celebration, I don't know. 
but he goes. To a Jewish community who Luke is writing to, the the tax collector, especially if they were a Jewish man who had become a tax collector, chosen to become a tax collector, or had earned the right to become a tax collector, had essentially abandoned his people to take on the role of a Roman and, and play a part in what the Romans were doing to the Jewish community. If you chose or became a a tax collector, you were kicking your community in the face and saying, I don't care about you. And so in return, the Jewish community essentially cast you out. And all community is severed. They were considered as these moral outcasts, they were considered as bad as prostitutes within the Jewish community. And if you're not familiar with what that would mean, read through some of the Old Testament law. But he calls him. Now again, the book of Luke is story. Luke is crafting the things that he's telling us, the things that he's he's giving us insights into. It's a story that he's writing to the Jewish community to try to help them see, understand, and convince them that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And as you write, you if if you any English teachers, people that love English, I I this is not me, so I I apologize, but generally. When you write a book, you, you introduce the characters and then you build the excitement in the book. You, you build on top information on top of information. You are trying to get to the big point of the book, which is the climax. And so the story evolves, it builds, it builds, it builds. And that's what Luke is doing here. All the way up until you get to chapter 19. He is building story upon story upon story, showing that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we're almost to the climax of the book. We're, I think, one day away from entering Jerusalem for the whole Passover celebrations. And what is going to take place? What's the climax of the book of Luke? What is it? Louder, louder. My hearing's not so good. What's the climax of the book of Luke? What happens? The death, the crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. The moment, the pivotal moment where we receive salvation, where we can receive salvation, and we can be reunited back in relationship with God. That's what he's building towards. And this is one of his final stories that he wants us to get before Jesus enters in to Jerusalem and enters in to that that final moment of sacrifice. So he's telling us, Luke is telling us, the way he's writing the book, this is a pretty big moment. I need you to hear this. This is going to be like, this is my final 
attempt to convince you who Jesus is and what he's here to do. What's the story of? Does anybody know? Or Luke chapter, I just gave away that one. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. What's the story of? Zacchaeus. Who knows that story? Who knows that story because of Sunday school when you were a kid? How often do we hear that one preached from up here in big kid church? Do you hear it very often here? Probably not very often because we relegate it in the church to a children's story, but Luke is not doing that. Luke is telling us, guys, this is a big one. I need you to focus on this one. This isn't a kid's story. But we love it as a kid's story because he's a wee little man. We create the song for it. You guys may not know God and Prozac, but I, I can almost guarantee you the majority of you know Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in a tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Or I'm going for to your, there's a couple versions. I'm going to your house today, or I'm going to your house for tea, or something like that. I don't know. But we know that. We know it. And it's fun. And we embrace it. Because it's a fun kid's story. They can relate to a little, little person having to climb a tree to get to see through the crowd. But this is a bigger story than that. Because Zacchaeus, we went from, in Luke chapter 5, we went from a, a tax collector to the chief tax collector. In Jerusalem, well, this is actually not Jerusalem. It, this is Jericho, sorry, just before he enters Jerusalem. But the chief tax collector of Jericho is there to see Jesus. He, he is a Jewish man, and he has made it to the rank of chief tax collector. Within the Roman society, to get to that level of a governmental type position, a position of trust, handling the, the king, the emperor's you know, money, Caesar's money, you essentially had to sell yourself to somebody who had high enough authority as a bond servant, as a way of paying the price to get to that position. The number of people that you would have to step on to be able to get the recognition and the position to have access to that type of a job, especially as a Jewish man, this was a nasty guy. And he took advantage of his Jewish community. And he stole from them multiple times over. And because he had gotten to that point, 
he had probably mentally gotten to the point that he did not care about the Jewish people and he wanted to hurt them because they hurt him. I don't know. We don't know what his story was and what his life was and what it consisted of. We can only imagine what his issues were that he was struggling with. He was kicked out of Jewish community, which means he was kicked out of access to the synagogue, which means he was kicked out of, the Jewish people kicked him out of covenant with God and would not grant him access to God. If you couldn't enter into the temple and offer a sacrifice, if you were outside of the Jewish community, you could not offer sacrifice, which means you could not receive forgiveness from God. The Jewish community had told Zacchaeus, we don't care about you anymore, and you cannot have access to our God. You cannot have access to eternity with him. Whoa! Church! Don't let that be us. This is not a kid's story. This is, this is big stuff. When adults are telling other adults, you're out, you, you get no access to God. We don't have that right. But when you're dealing with a broken world and dealing with broken people, the Jewish people were hurt. They were broken. They were living under oppression. Here was a man from the Jewish community who had to have been completely broken to take the path that he chose or that, that, that his life went. And yet he wants to see Jesus. This man who all throughout the book of Luke is about healing restoring, redeeming, going to the people on the outskirts, those lost sheep. And Jesus is coming through his city. And he just wants to lay eyes on him. How much hurt does this man have to have that he's going to this extreme, climbing a tree and embarrassing himself just to glimpse who Jesus is. And yet Jesus walks by. is before Jesus goes to give his own life. Can you imagine what Jesus is going through? Knowing what is going to happen to him. What he is going to have to experience. Still with the weight of rejection from so many of the Jewish people. And here he is, enshrouded by this crowd, blocking him out, blocking his view of, of most things. And he looks up and he sees 
Zacchaeus. And he stops and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I see you. I see you. Jesus knows how to hold his story. In his Jesus, in his own pain, in his own struggles, he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. And it's him that becomes Luke's big final moment. He's come to redeem the lost and heal the sick. God sees us. God sees us at our worst. And he calls to us and he saves us. And yet we still struggle with the idea that later on in life I'm saved, but I mess up and I sin. And how can God still love me? Where is God? Why has he turned his back on me? I don't care who you are. We're all hurt. We're all broken. We need this life to mold us and shape us. And we have to be willing participants for that to happen. For sanctification to take place in our lives. We have to do our part. And come openly before God. Knowing it doesn't fix and completely take away. It's not always going to fix and completely take away the brokenness that we are dealing with and living with and will experience. But it's good. And it's so worth it. Being brought back in to fellowship and relationship with God. Being invited back in around his table is all about community and acceptance and love. Knowing and seeing us in our brokenness. That's our testimony. This is why the church was established to do missions. Right now, it's so easy to get wrapped up in our own lives, to get wrapped up in the circumstances of politics and, and all the crazy stuff that is taking place and happening. It's, it's easy to get wrapped up off of the COVID stuff and, and becoming isolated and becoming depressed. And praise God, it's brought awareness to mental health issues. But so help us, church, if we don't get it. If we can't look up at the Zacchaeuses in life and say, hey, buddy, come down. I want to hear your story. I want to learn to hold your story well without over-imposing my story on your story. I want you to know that I see you, that the church sees you, that you're okay in your brokenness. We still accept you around the table. God still accepts you. Please, come. Offer your sacrifice. And of course, we don't offer the sacrifice anymore. But Zacchaeus, come back in. You're accepted.
That's what I'm doing in South Africa. Letting the pastors, starting with the pastors, and letting them know your story matters, your experiences matter, you're broken, but it's okay. Because what this world needs and what our testimony really needs to be is that we can go in our brokenness, in our sins, and we can still find joy and has said in our lives where we feel invited to the table. Why do family gatherings and holidays, why, why do they have the potential to be so good? Because if it's a healthy environment, I'm not saying everybody's doing great, got great jobs, nobody's sinning, nobody has mental health or disorders or whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm saying that when those families come together, there's joy, there's reception, there's connection, there's food. <laughs> and I want that to be my testimony and my witness. That despite all these things that are happening in my life, that are unfolding in my family, that I can do it with joy. That it radiates. That becomes that beam and that lighthouse to the world to say that, okay, I know that guy's story. He's messed up. He's broken. But I love that he still finds joy in this life and finds the joy in others and sees others and holds other people's stories. The Jewish community had a fabulous way of doing that. They still participate in it. The Psalms are still a big part of who they are and how they operate, how they function, and how they participate in community. The Psalms are filled with laments. I think they make up the majority of the Psalms. A lament. The purpose of the lament is that person is crying out and saying, God, my situations are terrible. I am drowning in the circumstances of this life. I don't feel you or your presence. But I know you're God. I know you're good. I know you love me. In the Jewish community, they take these laments throughout the year and use them as communal laments. They grieve, they mourn, and they share in the lament of the Jewish community. It gives them a camaraderie. It, it brings them into relationship to share and hold their, the story of their people. And unfortunately, as the church today, we've lost the ability to lament. We've lost the ability to lament with one another. But there's healing in it. And so this, this morning, 
I want to close with this lament, Psalms 38. It's a psalm of David written to God's attention. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to read it. And when we get to, when, when I pause or when, we, when I kind of get down through the end, I want us all to say together, God, send the comfort of your spirit. God, send the comfort of your spirit. Say it with me. God, send the comfort of your spirit. God, send the comfort of your spirit. And if you're here this morning, Pastor Phil already did a wonderful job this morning of kind of connecting with this message because we had that time of prayer. And he had those of us in here who, who knew or needed a healing or knew of somebody that needed healing to raise your hand. We're all broken. We, you may be in here this morning and you are needing the community of this church to lament with you. Just, just to mourn or grieve with you. And if that's you, I want, to, I want you to take this as your personal lament. And let God embrace you as the community embraces you. If you know of somebody that's struggling with mental illness or some disorder or just going through a really rough time, keep them in your mind as you say this lament, as we read through this lament. One of the the purposes of the church is the coming together. And let's use this lament this morning to come together. O Lord, do not continue to rebuke me in your anger. Do not continue to punish me in your raging fury. For your arrows pierce me and your hand presses me down. My whole body is sick because of your judgment. I am deprived of health because of my sin. For my sins overwhelm me like a heavy load. They are too much for me to bear. My wounds are infected and starting to smell because of my foolish sins. God, send the comfort of your spirit. I am dazed and completely humiliated. All day long I walk around mourning, for I am overcome with shame and my whole body is sick. I am numb with pain and severely battered. I groan loudly because of the anxiety I fear. Oh Lord, you understand my heart's desire. My groaning is not hidden from you. My heart beats quickly. My strength leaves me. I can hardly see. God, send the comfort of your spirit. Yet I wait for you, O Lord. You will respond, O Lord, my God. I have prayed for deliverance because otherwise they will gloat over me. When my foot slips, they will arrogantly taunt me. For I am about to stumble and I am in constant pain. Yes, I confess my wrongdoing, and I am concerned about my sins, but those who are my enemies for no reason are numerous. Those who hate me without cause outnumber me. God, send the comfort of your spirit. I am dazed and completely humiliated. All day long I walk around, oh, wait, yeah, morning, wait, where are we? Better. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but we already did this one, right? Okay, go to the next one. 
They repay me evil for good I have done. Though I have tried to do good to them, they hurl accusations at me. Do not abandon me, O Lord. My God, do not remain far away from me. Hurry and help me, O Lord, my deliverer. God, send the comfort of your spirit. Next slide. That should be the last one, I think. Oh, is that the last one? Okay, hold on. Let me see. Where, where was I at? Oh, Lord, my deliverer. Okay, yeah, that was the end. I apologize. I thought there was more. <laughs> Guys, it's okay to be broken. There's beauty in our testimony. There's beauty in knowing and understanding that we are broken. We come to that realization and we work on the process of sanctifying ourselves throughout this life and addressing that brokenness. But we have hope. We have joy in knowing we are accepted. We have not been pushed out. God has done his part to bring us back into covenant, to bring us back into relationship. We are part of his kingdom. We will enter eternal life with him. And the world needs to know that too. And share in that too. And receive that joy from us. That's our witness. That's our testimony. Amen? Amen. All right. I'll pray for you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I love you. I, I love you so much. I've loved you my entire life. I've worked to write you a love song through my life. And I don't always understand, I don't always get the circumstances of my life. But I know, we know, you are good. And so Lord, I pray this morning that you would be with us. I pray that you would... Extend healing to us if we are broken and hurting and feeling lost and feeling ostracized. I pray for those people of this church connected to this church, connected to our families and our, our community outside of this church that we know need you and need a touch of your spirit. Lord, we do. We believe in healing. We believe in restoration. Lord, and, and we, we want that. Bring that. Give that. Extend that to us. But above all, Lord, let us, let us live in joy with the understanding that, yes, I'm broken. You know I'm broken, and you love me anyway. Let me walk in joy knowing that every moment I get to come around your table and enjoy fellowship with you. And help me to have a heart to extend that to the people around me and to this world. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. In your most holy name, amen. Would you show your appreciation to Pastor Jeremy and thank him for all that he's done. Would you like Praise God. I want to give you a chance to uh, uh, give. 
and to invest in this wonderful family. They, uh, and thank you for your vulnerability. Um, that is, that, that's a brave thing to do when you are a preacher. And, uh, and we appreciate that greatly. So I'm going to ask you to give uh, and dig deep that we can invest in this family in a beautiful way. Um, and uh, I'm glad we get to partner with them. Amen. Amen. Ushers, make your way to the front. Lord Jesus, if you will take this offering that we have to give, and I pray, God, that you would use it in a way that brings honor and glory, uh, not only to you, but it also, Lord God, invests in this family in a, in a profound way. I, I pray, Lord God, for healing for this family. I pray, Lord God, for guidance, for favor. For all that they need, Lord God, I pray that you would provide it. And, uh, we know you're able to do so. So, Jesus, we pray now that you would take whatever it is that we have to give, and may we see this as our investing in the kingdom. And we will thank you. Use this for your good now, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give. Amen. Are you thankful for God's goodness and mercy? Amen. Would you stand with me? I want to pray a blessing over you as you leave from here. I encourage you to stop by uh, Jeremy's table out in the lobby. And um, I'm sure you have a prayer card or two or 2,000. And so uh, uh, make sure you grab one and let that be a prayer reminder every time you see it to pray for this family. So Jesus, I pray for a blessing upon our church family. God, that you would uh, go before us in all that we do. Lead us this week in the way that you see fit. Protect us, guide us. Jesus, we pray that you would bless us in a way that, uh, uh, in a way that we could serve you even more. So bring people into our path this week, Lord God, that we could, um, that we could lead 
and nudge closer to you. And uh, God, give us an eye for the hurting. Give us an eye for the broken. And Lord, uh, I pray that they would come to the table ultimately with you. And Jesus will thank you. Go before us now in your name. And we all said amen. God bless you. We love you. We will see you again soon. Have a wonderful week.